You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Now, as I promised, we are going to dive into God's Word. You can open up to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We started a series several weeks ago called The Presence. This central theme of the redemptive story of God. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, we see this picture of heaven. This is where God's bringing all of us. And it says, the dwelling place of God is with man. That is what you are created for. Interestingly enough, when you tie that back to what God created in the garden, they're pretty similar. God dwelling with man in the garden Obviously, that was ruined through sin, but where God is bringing us, so what God is redeeming is what he started in the garden. The dwelling place of God, or the dwelling place of man is with God, that we would be his people, that he would be our God, the presence. So the presence is not just a a phrase that we throw out around this church as something that in in our in our worlds, is non-negotiable. Like, we need to close the doors, shut down this whole operation if the presence of God does not come and, and visit us as we gather together. The presence of God is what changes everything. And the definition of the presence of God that I presented to you a couple weeks ago is this. It's the dominant reality of the rule of Jesus in a person or a place. God is everywhere, all the time. He's not confined to time nor space. He's present everywhere. But when the Bible talks about the presence of God, it's where his, that, that becomes the dominant reality, that he is real, that he rules and reigns in a place. So in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve are running from the presence of God, it's not that God ceases to exist. It's that they're running from his rule and reign in their lives. They're trying to do things on their own. And more and more, as individuals and as a church, we want to live in submission to his rule and his reign so that he becomes the dominant reality, that we live with this greater awareness of him as the ultimate reality. And obviously that picture in Revelation chapter 21, that day, it will be ultimate. It says there's no pain, there's no crying, there's no tears, there's no death. That's because in that moment, everything else is burned up. There's a new heaven, there's a new earth where the ultimate reality is his presence. We're all just captivated by his glory. So this morning I want to ask this question before we dive into 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's it's this, what would my life look like? And the coming and going, what would my life look like if I lived with a greater awareness of God's reality? How would my life be different? In the words that I use, my conversations, in how I use my time, in what I put my eyes upon, on what I look at? How would my life be different? What would it look like if I grew in an awareness of God's reality here and now? Just look at this in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This morning we're going to look at King David. Obviously he became a a figure of what this coming Messiah was going to look like. This, he really ushered in this golden era for the nation of Israel. It really ushered um, God's redemptive story onward. But before David, things weren't, weren't looking so good for the nation of Israel. 
They turned away from God. They tried to do things on their own. In their stubbornness, they continually requested a king. We want, we want to be like other nations. Got all these other nations, they look so cool because they got an awesome king. We want a king. So God said he, he finally gave them what they desired. He gave them a king. But they got a pretty wicked king. His name was Saul. He started off all right, but it didn't turn out so well for Saul, if you know the story. But then God found for himself a man after his heart. Really a nobody. This man, David. And from the earliest years of David's life, and now we'll see here, even as he's king, he placed central in his life the reality of God, the presence of God, that God would be central. Whether he's herding some sheep in the pasture as a nobody, or whether he's sitting on the throne in Bethlehem, he would be, he would be central. He would be the highest priority. He'd be, the, he'd be preeminent. It'd be God in his life. Let's look, let's look at this. So now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David had, had a, bother, uh, a very um, uh, a frustrating thought in his heart brewing. He couldn't... He couldn't um, I'm sorry, I'm struggling with words. He, he could not rest with this, this disconnect in his life. With the, the, with the fact that he was sitting in his plush palace in the ark of God, which represented God in his reality, because the, the ark of God was this box that God order, ordered that commanded them to build, and in it held three items, the, the, the tablets of Moses, uh, Aaron's um, budded um, staff, and rod, and it held this golden pot of manna, which was the, this miraculous sustenance that God provided for them in the wilderness. So these three items that, that continually reminded the children of Israel of God's reality, of his power, that he is real. He's not just a far-off figment of our imagination, but he's real. And these, these relics, they remind us of his power and his miraculous provision. And so the Ark of the Covenant was sitting in a tent. And, and David, this bothered David. He had a hard time with this reality, this disconnect in his life. If God really is preeminent, if he really is the most important thing in the kingdom, why am I sitting in a palace and why is the Ark of the Covenant sitting in a tent? He was willing to ask that difficult question. He says in verse 3, and this is the prophet Nathan, this is the man of God, the man of the hour. And Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. He just feels instantly that confirmation. No, this is this is from the Lord. You should, you should go, go do this thing. And so that night then, the prophet Nathan actually seeks the Lord. In verse 4, he says, And that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you, should, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people of Israel. We'll stop there. It sounds so peculiar. The God of the universe, the God that spoke matter into existence, would even have any consideration for what the, the Ark of the Covenant is dwelling in. 
You know, he's not impressed by our buildings. He's not impressed by what we can build. There was something much, much deeper that God wanted and that he was really, um, really delighted in, in this whole interaction. It wasn't so much the building. It wasn't that he really wanted a house of cedar. It's he wanted to be preeminent in the nation of Israel. And he pointed David back to the pasture lands, the place where you, where you set me aside as the God of your life, the, the ultimate reality of your life. That's what sets you up for you to be where you're at as the prince over Israel. So here's our main idea for this morning. When we establish God as central in our lives, he establishes us in the center of his, of his will. It's this reciprocating relationship. When you set him apart as central in your life, he establishes us in the center of his will. A couple months ago, we did that series called Lifestyle Christianity about the boxes, the compartments that we, we all place our faith in. And hopefully we begin to obliterate those compartments of our lives we usually put faith over here in this compartment. It doesn't intersect with our workplace, the marketplace, or our home life, or our intellectual life. But that's not God's best for our life. The more and more we allow our faith, our relationship with God, what Jesus did in our lives, to actually interwe interweave and uh, translate to every aspect of our life, the more and more we're walking in God's best for our life. And so when I say, say the will of God, that means God's best for your life. Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. You're probably familiar with it. Right? Our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, his presence is preeminent. There are creatures that sit around the throne and they cannot do anything other than just say, holy, holy, you are set apart. They cannot muster up anything else other than you are set apart. There's none like you in all the universe, in all the cosmos. There's nothing like you. It's a, it's a crazy thing to think about. So when we're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for him to be the ultimate reality in a moment, in a place. And when that happens, it's grace, it's peace, it's joy, it's love. Nothing can shake you. And David knew that. It was God was enlightening him to realize that's what got him to the place where he was as king, as prince over Israel was the fact that he had established God as central in his life. It was, it was David that said, this one thing I desire, this one thing that I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And he had everything at his disposal. This was King David. He could go anywhere, have any experience he wanted. And he said, this one thing in my life I want, this one thing I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So God doesn't care about our buildings, but he wants to be central. And so oftentimes the things that we put our hands to and the things that we, we put our energy and our resources into are a great indication of where our greatest priorities are. Amen? So let's keep reading in this story. But for the sake of time, we'll move all the way down to verse 24. Because David then, after the prophet Nathan gets this confirmation from the Lord, yeah, this is, this is of God. We need to we need to move forward with this and, and build a house for the Lord. Then David's just overwhelmed with thanksgiving. And well, verse 18, he says, or it says, The king David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord? What is my house that you have brought me thus far? He's so overwhelmed by the grace of God. But jump down to verse 24 for the sake of time. And he says, And you established for yourself, your people Israel, 
to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. You think God ever was not God? He can't, he can't like remove himself from his deity, from the fact that he is God. He's talking about a heart issue. In this moment, Israel became, I mean, God became really God of, a God of Israel because he was put in his proper place, sitting on the throne of their hearts. So, o Lord, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, confirm forever the word that you've spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. And obviously, David became a picture of the Son of God, the Messiah himself, who he would come from the house of David. That's why we're talking about David thousands of years later. Because David established God as central in his life, and it set him up then to be in the center of God's will. To be God's man for that hour, for that generation, and for generations to come. So let's cut to the chase, cut to the heart of it. From this passage, how can each one of us establish the presence of God in our lives? From, from King David's example... How can we establish in the coming and going of our life, how can we begin growing and answering that question with, with, um, with a greater burning conviction, that question that we asked at the very beginning, how would my life be different if I grew in an awareness of the reality of God in the here and now? So firstly, it's this. Remember that God here goes with you. Remember that God here goes with you. We don't gather together in a church building to get something that stays here. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. It's a central part of the gospel. He doesn't just clean your conscience. He doesn't just forgive you of your sins so you can spend an etern- some future eternity with him. He does that. But it's so much more. It's a scandalous gospel that actually says God comes and takes up residence in you. Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. So we gather together to be the family of God, to hear, to hear from God together, to get marching orders for the mission of God. But it's not to receive something that you don't leave with. You leave with the Holy Spirit. And so just picture Holy Spirit with you as you're driving down the road today, as you leave this place. Holy Spirit's in you. You didn't leave him back here like, okay, bye God, I'm leaving you at your house, the house of God. As you're eating lunch today, I don't know where your restaurant of choice is on Sundays. We always pick up Mexican on Sundays. It's the Meyer tradition. When we're chowing down on our burritos, Holy Spirit is there. And he's not caught off guard by it. He's not, yeah, that's where he is. Holy Spirit lives in you. Jesus took care of it. He made you clean. He comes and takes up residence in you. David understood this. As he said, he, he recognized in prior generations, as the, the, the nation of Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt, they were really nomadic people wandering around in the wilderness. But what, what was it that led them through the wilderness? It was the presence of God. And in every, every location that they'd come to, in the center of the camp would be the tent of meeting, this, the tabernacle, this central focal point of the presence of God. This, this is what makes us a people. This is what makes us distinct. It's the presence of God. And they set it up right smack dab in the center of the camp and encamped around it. We're all there, tents of dwelling. 
David recognized that as nomadic people, then the presence of God would lift and the presence of God would move them on to a new place. Now they were, they were no longer nomads. Now they actually had a, had a land. They were in the promised land now, established as a kingdom. And he knew now in that place, he needed to establish the presence of God as central. So wherever you go in your life, establish him as central. Set up camp around him in the workplace, in your home. There's no more compartments. Secondly is this, dare to ask the question. David asked a bold question that most of us, we try to stuff deeper into our heart. The disconnect in his own life. He was sitting in a plush cedar palace. The ark of God was sitting in a dusty, overused tent. And David is willing to ask the question, what's gone wrong? Like, what, what's missing from this picture? I would challenge you to ask the uncomfortable question. Why is it that I'm allowing myself to watch this stuff that obviously tarnishes the way I view the world and view myself in light of eternity and view the people around me? Like, why am I allowing this stuff into my life? I'm talking about entertainment and, and what we consume. I think it needs to be said. I'm just, on, I'm honestly appalled by some of the stuff that we're now streaming into our families and into our, our homes. Why don't we ask the tough question? Not, oh, that God that's sitting down at LifePoint Church in a building, like this is his, his house where he hangs out. No, he lives in you. And it's in that place, dare to ask the question, what's, the, what's with the disconnect? That's not, that's not meant with, to have any a hint of co uh, condemnation at all. I don't want anybody to leave this place with um, any sort of condemnation or shame, but I'm asking, I'm, I'm inviting you to ask the question. Why is it that I have this disconnect in my life? What about how we use our time? Dare to ask the question, why is there that disconnect? Why don't I live with this sense of purpose and urgency for this day, for this hour? Why am I letting my life just slip by, fly by? What about my language? Why do I talk to people that way? That doesn't reflect that God is the ultimate reality in my life. Why did I just curse that person? Why did I put that person down? Why am I not more considerate to build people up? Those are the tough questions, and David is willing to, to ask those questions. Are you tracking with me? Amen. Dare to ask the question. And those that do will be establishing God as more central in their life. Those that don't, they're setting their faith up like boxes and compartments. I think the better way to think about our faith is more like a wheel with, with God being the, the hub. And every other aspect of your life is like a spoke. Provides the, the structure that, that's all tied to one central hub that, that really um, informs every aspect of our life. It's that one central hub of the reality of God. That he is preeminent. He's the ultimate reality. It's all coming and going. At the end of it all, he's going to establish a new heaven, a new earth, and we'll all stand before him, before this holy God. Dare to ask the question. And thirdly is this. Remember the presence is what makes you distinct. It's the presence that makes you distinct. And I believe in this moment, you can, you can read in the text here how overwhelmed David is by the grace of God in his life. He's like, who am I? <laughs> In my story, that God would choose me and use me. 
that God would pick me up from the ash heap, that God would pull me out of an, an unknown pasture land where no one knew me from anybody. Who am I? It's the presence of God that always made him distinct. I believe David, and I often envision David out in the pasture land strumming his harp and just having a worship session with Jesus. He experienced the presence of God in those places. And that's what always made him distinct. The reason he could stand before Goliath and know, yeah, that he would kill him, but what he says is God is going to conquer him. It's like this partnership. He kills him, but God conquers him. God is really the one fighting his battle for him. The only reason he could stand there with any sort of faith is because of something he had experienced already privately. The presence was what made him distinct. Just as I was praying this morning, I thought of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In a world that would scream at you and tell you how uniquely special you are in and of yourself, I would, I would modify that a bit and say, yes, you are unique. There is no one like you. But really, the presence of God is what sets you apart from common. From the common every day, it's the presence of God that makes you distinct. It's not just your unique DNA. It's the presence of God that sets you on a completely different plane, a different value grid from everything around you. It's the presence of God. I have the privilege of bringing my kids to school every single morning. It's, a, it's an honor to have that moment with them as I send them out into the world. And my two oldest are in elementary school, and I always make it a point as we're pulling up to the school to pray with them. And I just, I just pray a simple prayer, obviously, of, of favor and that God would give them grace to work hard. But really specifically, I pray that God would give them eyes to see how they are leaders and they're influencers. But I add a caveat on there because it's not just leaders and influencers like the world says. You can be an influencer. You can be a leader. You can set the, ch- the tone and trajectory wherever you go. No, it's the Holy Spirit living in them. But I say, God, give them the eyes to see how they can be leaders and influencers through your Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that sets them apart to be distinctive, to be distinct leaders and influencers in the place. That's what allows them to be light in the darkness. It's not just your charisma and your awesome leadership skills. If Paige wouldn't mind coming up to the keys, it's the presence of God that makes you distinct. Remember that. That's what set David apart. So I want to end with how I started, asking you that question. How would your life be different? If you grew in an awareness of the reality of God in the here and now, the nation of Israel quickly forgot. You'd think they had it easy because they saw signs and wonders that are really um, so unique, so out of this world, it's hard to wrap our minds around. Think of the nation of Israel being freed from the superpower of the day, Egypt. That in and of itself is miraculous on just an economic um, level. But the way in which God brought it about through 10 miraculous plagues is, just blows our minds. But then as they're, they're on the pursuit or the, um, Pharaoh and his army is on the pursuit, they come to the Red Sea. God frees them from the, the chase of Pharaoh and his army through the Red Sea miraculously, right? You'd think that'd be pretty etched in their hearts and their minds. This God, this God, of, this, this God of Israel is like no other. He is set apart. He is preeminent. He is the ultimate reality. But there's this fascinating story in Exodus chapter 32 where their forgetfulness gets the best of them. 
where their distinctive gets squelched by their impatience, really. They're sitting there because Moses is up on the mountain and, and they get impatient. So they're like, well, let's, let's take this into our own hands. Let's fabricate a God. They, they gather all the gold that they can collect and they build the golden calf. You know the story, right? I think it's just so fascinating how the level of deception that they fell under though in that forgetfulness. Because what they declare is this, as they build this awesome monument with their own hands, it's not the presence of God. God always manifests himself in a way that doesn't need to be built with hands. Instead, they build this, this golden calf and they say, these are the gods who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. You would, have think, you would have thought as that came out of their mouths that they would have realized the disconnect. No, there was no sign of any golden calf leading them out of, miraculously out of Egypt and leading them through the Red Sea. What led them through the Red Sea was a pillar of cloud, a pillar of the glory of God, manifest itself that led them through the Red Sea. You'd think that would be etched in their minds. These are not, these are not the gods that led us out of the land of Egypt. And then fascinatingly enough, this is, this is the level of deception. Aaron stands up and he says, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And the word he says, the word he uses there is not just God's generic, God, lowercase God. He says, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, Yahweh. He uses that distinct name of God, Yahweh. This is gonna be a feast to Yahweh. How quickly they had fallen away from the distinct presence of God as set apart as nothing else, like nothing else. If everyone would close their eyes and bow their heads across this place, I want us to close. These disconnects, I believe, in our lives can be very deceptive. They can be very... Um, I believe they can be so subtle they're really matters of the heart. And I wanna give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the presence of God, for you to once again, make him central in your life, establish him as the preeminent priority, the ultimate reality in your life. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.